Hello and welcome to the second episode of Perspective. Um, thank you so much to everyone who tuned in for our first episode last time where we talked about just what we're trying to do with this show, gave you a little introduction to all of this. Uh, our second episode today, we're going to talk about some really underrated albums by some pretty popular bands. Um, a lot of these albums, a lot of these bands have you know, a couple of really successful records in their catalogs, but the ones we're focusing on today are the ones that are not the ones that everyone typically says is, oh, that's my favorite record by that band. Um, they're not, you know, the cult favorite or the band's most successful or, you know, critically beloved release. Yeah, and I think one of the things here is it's these albums to us and some even kind of as time has passed by, they've gotten a little bit more attention than they did at the first, you know, when they first came out. But still, when you compare it or when you have critics or you have just fans in general talk about, you know, their favorite albums, these ones don't typically come up. And yeah. I think it's something that, you know, for each of us, I know we've picked a couple of albums to talk about. These are the albums that we first bring up, you know, if we're in those kind of conversations or is at least towards the top, you know, I know, specifically for one of the ones that I'm looking at for me, it's definitely always brought up as the first one that I think about and everyone's just like, well, why? And I'm just <laughs> like, why not? I mean, yeah. you know, why don't you like it? So, you know, it is, I guess, you know, we're kind of be touching on, you know, these bands that are popular and, you know, I guess, you know, perhaps, you know, what makes them underrated. But again, I think the thing to really highlight here is to just buy bands that are generally already popular and, you know, we're eventually, I know we're eventually going to talk about bands that are just overall underrated. And that's, yeah, that could actually be, I mean, that, that probably will end up being like a several episode series. Um, Logan and I have kind of bonded over our, our shared love of some really underrated bands that in some cases tragically broke up way too soon. Um, but we'll get into that at a later time. Uh, yeah. So let's, get started on these albums. Um, for each album we discuss, we're going to introduce the album, give a little background on, you know, where the band was at when the album was released, our thoughts on why maybe it didn't become as popular or successful as the band's other albums, and uh, most importantly, why we think this album is actually great, what makes it underrated. So Logan, do you want to start off? Yeah, I'll start off, and I think, you know, the thing about this first record is it's just, it was a very weird time, but we're going to start yeah. off with New Again by Taking Back Sunday. Great album. And it, it is a good album, and the thing with this, you know, when this album was coming out, it was, I mean, they had just gotten through their third, I believe, lineup switch in four albums at this point, and this is around the time when those shirts came out that said, I used to be in Taking Back Sunday because they were just going through nonstop member changes. And it was, it was a very weird time for them as a band, I think, because of that. And so you brought in a different guitarist. So you kicked out, or, you know, technically, I guess, because he left, it kind of depends on, you know, what story you want to believe there. But, um, I mean, you got your backup vocalist again who if i mean people who listen to take it back sunday know about their two vocalists generally right i mean they've always kind of went back and forth in that sense between the two vocalists and so i think with this one what happened is you've got that new influence in there which if you listen to the album it's a lot different than their previous three albums at that time um, oh definitely definitely 
and you you hear a lot less of like dual vocals and maybe people were used to at that time and it was a lot more of just adam kind of doing his thing and i think the lyrics are probably some of the best that taking back sunday's had um and that's a band that's not necessarily known for their great lyrics but i think it's one of the times where they kind of really peaked at this time yeah and so i I mean, it's, it's, it's to me, it's just my favorite album of theirs, and it used to not be, but it's really grown on me since then. So I'm hoping that eventually, I mean, I guess it's been almost 10 years now, so it's probably never going to happen. I don't think people will ever <laughs> gravitate towards it if they haven't already. So No, I mean, and I think, you know, Taking Back Sunday is a band that continues to put out great records, and they continue to be incredible live. Um, but it sounds i mean i like i was really into taking back sunday in like 2005 2006 um and then i kind of like strayed away from them and got into them again a few years later when they did that tell all your friends tour um so i don't think i even listened to this album when it came out um do you think do you think it made sense not just for like where where taking back sunday was in general but do you think it made sense with where the quote unquote scene was at that time um like what what kind of music other bands were putting out do you think this was like just wildly different i mean i don't know i don't know if it was wildly different it was very it, it kind of take i mean because louder now you know itself the album that came out before this wasn't it was already to me it was kind of shows i guess the beginning of this shift in their sound that they did and i mean because you they went from you know this pop punk band from their first two records right and then you come out with louder now and it's definitely more of like a straightforward rock record yeah and i think they kind of took that and then you know, they rolled with it with new again, but you obviously, again, like I said, they switched out their members again. And so you have to kind of keep that sound, but then you threw in a couple more elements into it. I mean, there's some jazzy elements on the record that are very interesting. Um, and I, I don't know if it was necessarily what was different for the scene at that time, but I think they were continuing their push to probably just, you know, overall like alternative radio, right. um, and I mean, it almost, I mean, it, it seems like it almost worked out for them. I mean, this is, this is a record that has, you know, um, sink into me on it. And that's their last, like, that's their, I believe it's their second highest charting single they've ever had. And they just really? don't play it live anymore. Yeah. It hit top 10 on like alternative radio or whatever. I mean, they've changed the name of those like billboard charts so many times, but it hit top 10 on there. And it's like, they haven't had a single that's charted that high since. And I know- wow. It's just, I mean, for some reason, I mean, I know why they don't play it live, but it's just... Why don't they play it live? I just, I don't think that people like it. And I think that, you know, for them, it's just, you know, this was the only record they had with that specific lineup. And they just, I mean, I haven't heard them play a song off this album in an extremely long time. Um, I think So they play nothing off of it? Yeah, they don't. I mean, not that I've seen recently. I think a few years back, they played Everything Must Go um which is probably one of my favorite taking back sunday songs but i didn't see it live i think it was just like a random college show um but it's just um i think you kind of got into something interesting there uh that and i think this will probably play into 
some things we discussed with the other albums as well. The idea that a band's highest charting single may not be the single that the band's like diehard fans already, you know, love. Right. It may not be the one that like hits home with fans the most. You know, I think there's something interesting about that. And I don't know if it's because, you know, they, they think that, you know, they're intentionally trying to go towards this mainstream side and get away from their, you know, core fan base, so to speak. And I did just double check and it is their second highest charting single they had on the U S alternative radio. Um, Make Damn Sure was number eight, but obviously Make Damn Sure hit, you know, like, just like pop stations too. So it was like hit the Boilboard Hot 100 or whatever. And But outside of that, you had a decade under the influence that was number 16. Um, wow. uh, Liar was number 21 off of Louder Now. And then New Again was number 10. And they haven't, I mean, that's that's just how it goes. And I guess... Stood a chance off happiness is was number thirty nine, but in between that, those are the only, the only five songs I've ever charted for them. And you know, I think it's, I don't know if people just you know resent it for being what it is. And I think it is again just a straightforward kind of alternative rock record in that sense. And they didn't you know do too much with it after that because they have these kind of you know as the story goes, they kicked them out and brought back their original lineup again. And, you know, here we are, you know, what, six years after they brought their original lineup back. But I think it's just one of those things where there's, they, I don't know. I don't know why, I guess, other than it's just, you know, fans don't intentionally like that record too much. So they probably don't play too many songs off of it. I don't know how they personally feel about it. That would be an interesting thing to ask them. Um, Wait two years and uh, you know tenth anniversary of this. Album, <laughs> you know, hit up, hit up their publicist and be like, hey, let's. I want to sit down with Adam <laughs> there and ask about new again specifically. I mean, I and I'd be interested to see if they'd be open to doing something like that. Who knows? I mean, it would be interesting conversation. There's, I mean, obviously, there's no way they do a tour for it, but like it would just be, it would be interesting to talk to them about, you know, and say, yeah. hey, so this is. You know, it came out 10 years ago. It's your second to last record on a major label. And I mean, why? Like what happened, I guess, you know, and it just, just to kind of see how they look at it, you know, from this, having all this time pass and see how they feel about it. And, you know, it'd be interesting to kind of get some like fan perspective on there as well. If you could find, you know, people who are willing to like openly discuss that album, but that's, that's two years away. And that's, that's a lot of, (laughs) but it's fun. That'd be a fun conversation to have with him. Oh, definitely. Definitely. So, I mean, that's, that's just how I feel about, but like when you look at the album, how, like, what do you think about it? When you, if you sat down and listened to that album now, how would you feel about it? Um, so I think timing and, you know, it's interesting now listening to it now versus if I had listened to it like right when it came out um I think now I listen to it and it makes perfect sense like if we're talking about taking back Sunday's entire catalog how they kind of shift from like a pop punk emo whatever you want to call it sound to more straightforward rock alternative rock this album makes perfect sense in that situation taking all of that into account um But that being said, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head with the fact that they had a lineup change and this was a bit of a shift in sound for them. And so people were 
just maybe not accepting of it or expecting it. I, I don't really know. Um, but, you know, it was different. And at the time, people maybe didn't grasp that this was the direction the band was going to go in. So they weren't, you know, embracing it yet. That's that's how I'm kind of feeling and interpreting it. Yeah, definitely. I think that's probably the biggest thing about it. But, um, you know, that's that's just one, you know, record here, I guess, that we're kind of touch on. And that's probably a good way to start it. So what do you, um, you know, you want to talk about the first one that you have for us? Yeah, so the uh, the first album I'm going to talk about is Panic Stations by Emotion City Soundtrack. Uh, so it came out in September 2015, right before... Uh, they did a tour with the Wonder Years. Um, and I actually got to see the first show on that tour. Um, and, you know, I had casually, very casually listened to, you know, Commit This to Memory, Everything is All Right. Um, but I wouldn't have said I was a fan of Motion City soundtrack. And then Justin Pierre gets on stage and says that, you know, this is our new album, Panic Stations, and it's an album about progress. Um, and a little over a month later, I was able to catch the final two dates of that tour <laughs> that Motion City did with the Wonder Years. Um, and by that time, I had like, you know, listened to every record and their catalog and knew all the words to every song. Um, Panic Stations did not do that well. From what I understand, it did not sell that well. But, you know, and it ended up being their final album. Um, and it's interesting to me because I listened to that album and I, I, I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on this, uh, Logan, but I listened to Panic Stations and I'm very satisfied with that being their final album. It feels like things have, you know, been tied up. Um, and, uh, a lot of Motion City soundtracks music dealt with these neuroses and, eccentricities that Justin Pierre had, you know, sometimes directly related to mental illness and addiction and things like that, but sometimes just what was going on in his head in general. And it really, Panic Stations really is an album about progress and kind of getting better and getting through these things. Um, it's a Pleasure to Meet You is this whole song that dives into someone who connects with and finds hope through music. Um, but, you know, people did not gravitate towards this album. Um, you know, I was I was just going through and reading a bunch of reviews that came out when the record was released and they were they were mixed. Um some some people said it was great, it was what they expected from the band, and, and some people said that and to a certain extent I kind of agree with this, but not completely. Um some people said that they lost their their quirkiness um with with this album which i think you know and and we don't have to totally go into this whole thing but it kind of gets into okay like what's you know a quirkiness a lovable weirdness um that's you know what alternative press said that they kind of lost this lovable weirdness um you know what's a lovable weirdness versus what's someone who's struggling with alcoholism for example <laughs> um you know and and i i think it's i think you can be witty and you can be 
entertaining, but it, it does to some extent that that brings it to mind. Um, I I also I I wonder also if you know there was not much attention on this album uh, because you know right right before this they had done you know a tenth anniversary tour for Commit This to Memory. And it seemed it, it seemed to me that people were very very just really gravitating towards that, um, and and maybe they had kind of I don't know lost interest in new music from this band, but I don't know I'm I I think it's a great record I think it's a great <laughs> record. So I, I think Panic Stations is an interesting record for them. And it's, I, yeah. it, it did come out a few months after their, you know, Commit This to Memory tour ended, which it, at the beginning, you know, as they were getting ready to come out, you know, and that, as they were setting up for their show, they were playing songs off of Panic Stations over like yeah. the PA, which was interesting. It was, it was something that like, I don't know if people really realize because not that probably a high percentage of people don't pay attention to that, you know? So, I don't know if that's something that would have, you know, influenced. I don't, I can't imagine it really would have. And I'm sitting here and I'm looking at like their discography and I'm looking at its charting positions and Panic Stations did terrible. To, I mean, that, it's, there's no real good way to put it, but. It did terrible. It did really bad. So it was, it's weird because, you know, it's came, it come off of, or it's, you know, it followed up their album called Go, which a lot of people didn't like that either. Yeah. And that was an interesting record because they, I don't know, that just doesn't, I mean, I like it, but I know a lot of people that don't like it because it doesn't sound like them. And they, they specifically for that record, they shifted even further away than what's, you know, currently on, or what was on Panic Stations. I'll, I'll argue that even Go, like it's different, but to me, when I listen to like, if I, because I, I did this when I was like, falling in love with motion city soundtrack two years ago um (laughs) i listened to every album of theirs like in order and in that sense i mean go kind of makes sense you know and and same thing we're talking about with taking back sunday that with new again that you know an album that might seem kind of weird at the time when you put it in context of a band's whole discography it's like okay i kind of get it now right and i think it definitely makes a little bit more sense now and it's it was strange because that was their you know their they had left you know um they had left for a major label for the album that came out before go called my dinosaur life and then they came right back you know after that they left and they came right back to epitaph or and so it was strange because that was their record that's coming back to Epitaph. And it, it's normally bands don't do that. They kind of leave and put out the record that's like different at the time, right? Yeah. And so I think that was kind of unexpected at the time because they were coming back to the label they had previously been on for you know the, their entire career at that point. Yeah. And I don't know how much that played into it. But then when you get to Panic Stations and they you know, it sounds more like Motion City Soundtrack did. And so yeah, from that it point, like Motion City soundtrack. it does. And so you expect it to do well, right? You expect, okay, well, this, you know, this is going good. This came out, this should, this should help them out because they sound like they used to, even if it's a bit more, you know, less quirky or less weird or more grown up or however, you know, people want to look at it, but it still didn't. And I don't know if it was just their time to go 
I mean, the sales on that record say, yes, it was their time to go. But, yeah. you know, they had such good success with their 10-year anniversary tour. And usually that helps out, you know, future album sales, right? Yeah, I mean, Silverstein. Silverstein, yeah. yeah. Silverstein capitalized on it. I mean, I, you could argue that Taking Back Sunday, you know, they they kind of did the same thing. They put out an album in 2011, didn't do so well. Did a 10-year anniversary tour for you know their debut record and then their next album debuted at number 10 so it was a top yeah. 10 record and then so you kind of look at that and think okay this should work but it didn't yeah and i don't know if you know people were at that point were only listening to motion city for like the nostalgia of it or you know what kind of happened but it is a very strange record when you look at the way that it was rolled out following that thinking okay this is gonna work yeah. And then it's their worst charting album, you know? Yeah. So here's my question, which I kind of get into. Um, do you think when they made this album, when they were recording Panic Stations, do you think they were intending this to be their final album? Like they were ready to, you know, kind of put the band to rest or or do you think the decision to break up uh came after after the album was released and didn't do so well i i think it came after the album was released i don't i don't think they went into it thinking this is going to be their last i mean because i had interviewed them even myself on that committee oh, really? memory tour yeah and and they sounded i mean they were looking forward to the album coming out they felt good about it they thought you know it's you know it's supposed to be, you know, obviously every band says it's their best record, but they really did right. think of that, you know, and I don't know. I don't know. I'm curious as to like when that decision was made. Cause I definitely don't think it was before it came out. Cause I mean, obviously they had good success on their 10 year tour and I, and I don't, I think it kind of took them by surprise almost, you know, by how much it just, fell you know it's 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 not i don't like talking about like that because it makes me feel bad because i mean but it it did and it just i mean it debuted at number 141 i mean it it barely hit the top 150 and you know no and and i i agree i mean based on you know other interviews with them that i had read as well um that i don't think they intended it to be their last album but i i am and i'm i will you know, I'll reiterate this. I am very satisfied with this as their final album. Um, the, what is it? The last track, the days will run away. Um, I mean, that kind of in a way is about how the underground and the scene is, is changing, I guess. Um, but I, I mean, the album as a whole, you know, being something that's an album of progress and, and, personal I, I don't want to say like personal growth because that sounds cheesy but you know you, you listen to this album and it's not like it's not like depressing you know it's right it's, so to me it shows that like hey and and especially putting it into the context of earlier motion city soundtrack records it's it gives me hope i guess you know it's like okay you can go from being someone who's dealing with whatever shit they have going on to, you know what, I've dealt with that. I've, I've gotten through it. Um, and I'm moving on and, 
you know, doing something new or I'm just in a better mindset now. Um, so I'm, I'm satisfied with it from that aspect. And I, I think it makes sense as a final record. Like if this was, if this album came out earlier in their career, I, I don't know if it, I almost don't know if it would have made sense. Um, but yeah, so that's uh, my thoughts on Panic Stations. Logan, do you want to go into your next album on this list? Yeah, I'll go into the next album. Um, then we're going to go talking about Invicta by Hit the Lights. And this isn't a band that's had, you know, the same amount of success that pretty much the other, you know, other, I guess the other artists, you know, we're eventually going to talk about. But it's kind of a band that it almost seems like they could have, you know, had they yeah. kind of... I guess had a different play, you know, of how this whole thing played out. But yeah, this is a this was a really strange time for them as a band. Um, I mean, it's it's really weird because I mean they had almost broken up before the album came out. They had signed to a major label, um, and then they had left that major label because there were so many changes as this whole thing right. often goes. So was that why they almost broke up because of the label? Yeah, it, it's from my understanding, it was, you know, it's, they had gotten, they had signed to this major label and obviously all these changes personnel wise happened and they kind of got lost and then they got dropped. And so, um, you know, they had this record that they were kind of going for and, and then they just, I guess it never worked. It was on Universal Republic Records and, um, you know, they didn't have any feedback from them, you know, regarding how this album was going. And then the label obviously was pushing for top 40 radio hits. And so May, of, I believe it was May of 2011, roughly around there, they had went through all that restructuring and hit the lights, just asked to get released. So eventually they got it. And then they entered the studio again to kind of start recording again. And, you know, they worked with, you know, Ryan from Yellow Card, Tim you know, from Sugar Call and then Kenny from the starting line for, you know, Sugar very, Call. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a whole other conversation there. Yeah. But so, and then in September, they signed with the Razor and Tie Records. So at this point, it had been, you know, three years since their last album came out. And it's something where I'm assuming they lost a significant amount of, you know, I don't want to say fans, but they lost a lot of momentum coming off of an yeah. album, you know, that, kind of came out of nowhere i mean it debuted it didn't debut the highest but debuted at number 97 which it's it's high for a band that had never you know before that they had never been on the charts at all so right i think they were kind of getting momentum from that and then this whole label thing happened and then they come out with a record that sounds you know probably nothing like people were expecting it to you know they have been in a pop punk band forever so yeah but they did, before this album came out, they did the Invicta EP, which was like a little taste of what was going to be on the album. Um, after after they released that EP, I mean, did... Do you, do you think, like, when the album came out, people, like, realized, okay, this is, like, what was on the EP, this is what I was expecting? Or were people still, still pretty, like, taken aback? Um, by the album itself, even after having heard the EP? I think people were still taken aback by it. And I think one of the things that didn't, I don't, I don't know if we can really kind of 
So the three songs that they put on their EP were all like still like upbeat songs. And you had okay. like these, they had like pop punk kind of vibes to them, which I'm assuming was their point for putting this, you know, EP out. And then you get to the album and it's kind of, I mean, it has all three of those songs, but then you've got slower songs on there and you've got songs that like, you know, there's a song called Faster Now that's just really... I mean, it's just kind of like if you listen to it, it's just, you know, like programmed beats in the background and then, you know, his voice over it and it sounds good, but so weird. it's just not, you know, it's, I don't know. It's just not anything that they had wanted. You know, I guess fans didn't want it at that time. And, you know, it was an all like it's bid for mainstream acceptance. And I think it's still their best record. Um, obviously, I'm, I think it's, I'm pretty sure there's another situation where they don't play any of these songs live. Um, yeah. And it's just, you know, it was, they play like their new record and they play skip school, start fights. Right. And their new record didn't do well either, but that's probably for other reasons. But you know, this one was just, I don't know. I think it was just that time, I guess, where they had, you know, been holding on to it for so long. And I think, I don't know if they're, from my understanding, you know, I because I interviewed them as well when they were opening for Motion City Soundtrack on that 10-year tour. And okay. I asked them about this. And he says, you know, they're still proud of it, from my understanding, from what I was able to get from right. them. They're still, you know, stand behind their record and what they did at that time. But, you know, just kids didn't like it. So, I think, I mean, they just probably have just never really gone back to it. I'd be curious to see them go back to this kind of sound. Yeah. but. I just don't think they here's, will. Here's my question for you. Um, and I, I have a hunch of what you might say in response to this, but uh, obviously, you know, they got pretty held up with regards to the label situation. Um, do you think that if they had not been held up by the label situation, if they had not, you know, lost time and lost steam, you know, if this had come out like in a more timely fashion, um, do you think people would have had the same reaction to it? I think their loyal fans probably would have had a similar reaction to it. Um, mainstream wise, it might have done a little bit better. Um, I mean, it only debuted at like number one twenty nine, and yeah, I, I think Ouch. yeah, right. And I mean, I think it. I don't know. I don't know how much you know, maybe they would have been a little bit more receptive to it because they wouldn't have felt like they waited almost, you know, four years to be let down by an album that they didn't want, you know, which, again, that's a, that's probably a whole other episode there of, you know, that kind of feeling. But I think <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think that's just what they... We'll talk about our overrated album <laughs> this episode. <laughs> well, we'll hear that eventually. And, yeah. uh, and there's just... You know, maybe there's this whole perception of, you know, they felt like they deserved an album that was different. And I don't think that's the case. I don't, I hardly ever feel like, you know, we deserve a certain album. You know, I think right. they put out something that they wanted to put out and it was worth a shot and it didn't quite work out. Whether you want to put that more so on just, you know, they got caught up and they got, you know, at the wrong times. And I don't really know you know, if it would have made too much of a difference. I think it would have sold a bit better, um, which probably could have impacted their, you know, career arc and, you know, where they're at now. But 
I think their fans still would have looked at it and just been slightly disappointed. But again, maybe they wouldn't have been as disappointed because they didn't have to wait so long. You know, say if this came out in early 2011, you know, if it would have came out a whole year earlier, maybe they would have been like, okay, you know, this isn't that bad. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know, I think when pop punk bands specifically make shifts like this, it's often viewed as, you know, selling out and this and that. And so... I just think that people didn't gravitate toward it probably because of that. And it's kind of disappointing, but you know, I'm curious as to what you think about it though. Like if you listen to this, I don't know how much time you spent with it, but just kind of curious if you look at it, you know, what you think about it. Um, I think, you know, it's a great album. Um, and I would love to hear these songs live. Um, However, I I do agree with the idea that it 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 almost doesn't feel like you know th- this is one album that I will say in contrast to the other two albums we talked about um it doesn't necessarily feel like it it doesn't necessarily feel like it fits with with Hit the Lights mm-hmm. um you know with with their most recent album they were very very clear on you know what this is who we are this is the sound we like and what we're going for and you know they did it um but Invicta was kind of a weird it was a weird album um it's a good album but it's weird and it wasn't it wasn't what I expected from Hit the Lights um and you know I do wonder like if they had if they had made something that sounded quote unquote, you know, more like hit the lights. Mm-hmm. You know, I I think that record probably would have done much better. And if it had come out, you know, January 2012, if they had released a, a more pop punk record around that time, I mean, God, it would have done I think it would have done so well. Um, because that's a time when people were, you know, starting to get excited about, you know, pop punk and the Wonder Years and the story so far and Man Overboard bands like that. So any pop punk band, you know, automatically kind of had a buzzer on them. Um, but this was not, not really a pop punk album. Um, yeah. And I, and I think it's interesting too, because they did have a lot of, you know, at that point, I mean, I feel like, I don't know. I don't know what would have happened had they put out a pop punk record, if they had put something that ex- people expected yeah. from them. Cause they had gotten a big push as far as, you know, their album Skip School Start Fights, you know. Yeah. They had gotten a big push from that. You know, their label spent a decent amount of money on that album and trying to get it to work. And to a certain extent, it did. Um, you know, it got to where they wanted to be. It debuted at number 97, which again isn't too high, but they had never been on there before. And so that was a kind of a good start for, you know, the pop punk band. I suppose it's a pretty good debut on the Billboard charts. And, so they had gotten that kind of following there and almost, I mean, it's almost weird to say they had had a cult following at that point, but it kind of seemed like they did. Yeah. And it would be interesting to see, you know, if they look back on it and if they just took that record out and if they just, you know, say they threw out summer bones and instead of in 2012, yeah. say just two years ago, what would have happened? But it's weird because I saw them, after that album came out, they did the AP tour, I think, with Chiodos, and I don't even know who else was on that tour. Something wow. probably ridiculous. Wait, what, what year was this? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It wasn't Cheetos. This was um, uh, that was when Drugs was a band when Craig Owens went out and did 
drugs and <laughs> I forgot. Sorry, I can't keep my Craig Owens bands in line. But I forgot drugs was a band there for a second. But yeah, it was the, it was the AP tour with drugs, hit the lights. And again, I don't know who else, but... I mean, they, it was, those songs sounded great live. I mean, they had yeah. this big kind of feel to them and they had oh, these, yeah. this energy behind them that sounded like it was, you know, meant to be, you know, if not they were ever going to be like a stadium band, but like it could have sounded great and like a bigger... Like you know, a house venue. of blues. Or, right, or, like a, just a big atmosphere like that, you know. Yeah. And unfortunately, they never got to that point, and, you know. And yeah. I mean, I think they're okay with where they're at now. Yeah. But, it's just one of those things where they, you know, they had their chance and they kind of put out an album that maybe people didn't like, but I think it's still their best one. And I'm pretty satisfied that they put that out still. So definitely. Um, I guess we'll kind of wrap up that album because I don't know how much more there is to say about it. Um, do you want to talk about the yeah. second album you have? Yeah. Okay. So, so the next album I'm going to talk about is one of my favorite records of all time. Um, Good Charlotte, Good Morning Revival. Uh, it came out in 2007, so it's 10 years old now. And uh, if you've seen Good Charlotte over the past year or so, you might have heard them say on stage that this was an experimental album. And it totally was. Um, and there is no question in my mind why people why people didn't grasp onto it. Um, I mean, to put it in perspective, it sold terribly in comparison to... The Young and the Hopeless, and even The Chronicles of Life and Death. Um, you know, I, I don't even think it went platinum versus, you know, The Young and the Hopeless is like triple platinum at least. Um, it got very mixed reviews. Uh, you know, I think Spin actually kind of liked it. Um, but a lot <laughs> of the reviews it got were were, were pretty negative. Uh, it's a dancey record. And you know, in the beginning of 2007, no band that was like a pop punk band or, or had that history of being a pop punk band was doing a dance record. Mm -hmm. um, no one was doing that, um, you know, and this was like right before Metro Station came along. Um, I mean, but, you know, Metro Station, I would argue, is a, a different capacity in that they were this like dancey pop rock band and they were were never like a band that had the history of being, you know, a straight up pop punk band. Um, so this was a huge change in sound. Um, so, so there's that aspect. Um, and there's the aspect that the album was about, you know, primarily Benji and Joel's lives in, in <laughs> Hollywood, uh, which, you know, their, their first couple records talked a lot about how, they really struggled growing up and they didn't have a lot. They didn't have a lot of money. Uh, they didn't necessarily fit in. And then all of a sudden you have this record about, oh, hey, like I'm in Hollywood now and, and I'm with all these celebrities and I'm <laughs> dating an incredibly famous woman. Um, so, yeah. I, why did people not gravitate towards it? it? You know, exactly what I listed above. But I think it's actually, I mean, I think it's an incredible album. Um, something that good charlotte has consistently done uh is that the music they make at any given time is about where they're at in their lives at that point right um and at this point in their life they were 
doing you know they were they were like these people figuring out hollywood and benji and joel were like all over the tabloids largely because of you know the women they were dating and married to um but you know if if you if you dive into it and dive into the lyrics and put the album together i mean it's not like oh hey like i'm a celebrity now and it's great but it it actually talks a lot about how there's kind of this quote-unquote dark side to to hollywood um misery being a great example of that that was came out a couple months before the record uh and that's a song that's just about how everyone around you is totally miserable or, or you know you're totally miserable um and all black as well talks about how essentially i, I don't want to say like being a perpetual emo kid but always looking for this sort of darkness um and then you have something else which is about the the dichotomy of you know being someone who came from nothing and dating or being with someone who's <laughs> you know has always had everything so it's it's an interesting album you know and and i think that the story and the kind of concept of this album um i i think is is fascinating you know um and i i liked the dance the sort of dancey club feel to it uh and you know no one else was doing it that at the time i think what's interesting about you know this record and i kind of want to bring something back up real quick is you know you were right um young and the hopeless went triple platinum um chronicles of life and death went platinum and Gord good morning revival has not gone anything not here at least i mean it went I mean, it sold. It did decently. It sold like decently Australia. well everywhere. I don't know what the Australia's obsession is with this band, but they're like ridiculously big in Australia. So, oh, they're huge. I, I don't know how. I mean, I don't. I mean, I know how. I guess because they're like a good band, but it's just weird. Like they could put out, yeah. you know, whatever, and it would sell well in Australia. Um, you know, this this album was a very interesting one. Then. I think it's got all kinds of different vibes on it. I mean, you've even got, yeah. you know, you even have the river, which features, you know, two guys from Revenge Sevenfold. And it's like, well, okay. Yeah. So I don't know where that came from, but it happened. And it's not even like, it's a good song too. And I think they still play that song live. Um, they do. They do. That's one of the songs they still play live from it. I don't know what, I don't know what the other one is that they play live off. Of. I think there's a second one off they of this album. Dan- uh, they usually play dance floor anthem. Yeah, I mean, that was probably, I think that one was like a somewhat successful like song off this album, I think. Um, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, I guess, I mean, if I'm looking at it right now, it looks like, yeah, Dance Platinum went platinum. I didn't know that. That's yeah. I did not know that that song itself went platinum. That's kind of strange. Um, and then... Of course, it went platinum in Australia, so we don't have to bring that up. <laughs> but, yeah. um, you know, it is a very dancey album, and I think it's good. It's definitely... Which, no, people didn't yeah. expect them to release that. Right. right, yeah, I think... Yeah, it was one of those things where it's, it's, it's even weird, because I look at, you know, if I'm going from the first record, you know, the self-titled record, to The Young and the Hopeless, and even to Chronicles of Life and Death, it's a very, like, clear, like... It makes sense. It does. And 
to be honest with you, I personally didn't even really like the Chronicles of Life and Death. I don't know why. It's just that was an album that was already them kind of changing in a sense in a very yeah. slight sense they were changing. And then, you know, you kind of come out with Good Morning Revival, which, like we've already said, it's a dancey record. <laughs> it's different from what they, I guess, what everyone thought was going to happen from them. Yeah. And that's... I mean, it's weird because they were ahead of their time, kind of at that point, by like a few months of, you know, when Metro Station came out and they had their one popular song that I don't even think, I don't even know off the top of my head anymore. Um, And it's just, I guess it just wasn't, again, kind of like we've talked about with every ever album so far, just wasn't the right time, you know, for them to come out and put something out like that. And to me... That's probably why it didn't, you know, doesn't get the same like appreciation for it. Definitely. Oh, definitely, definitely. Right. No, I mean, I think this is, you know, as much as I I love this album and I always have, um, I think this is totally a, a clear situation of why it it didn't, why people didn't dig it. Um, you know, I mean, it. I do think it's a great album, and I think this kind of story of being you know a a person who grew up with nothing and who you know a band that really really had to fight really hard to to get anywhere at first you know to get their first record deal um and going from that to being this super famous band um and the weirdness of dealing with everything that comes along with that I think that's fascinating, you know, that, that whole kind of concept, but you know, I, I'm not surprised people, people didn't pick up on the album for, (laughs) for many reasons. (laughs) Um, but you know, I think it's great. And, uh, they did not return to that dance kind of sound for later records. Um, and I don't think they were ever intending to be this band where all of their records sounded like this. Um, but this was something they did and, you know, they did it and whether it, you know, did it work, did it not work, you know, they did it and they made it. Um, so that's uh that's good morning revival. Logan, do you want to go into your next album on here? Yeah. The, the last album that I have on here that we'll talk about um, is say anything self-titled album. And I think, you know, this album was coming out at a time you know, for them where they were still, I mean, they, before they say, I just put out a double album that was, you know, a lot, I guess. I mean, it, it was literally two albums into one. And, and I think that they were still saying anything at this point was still trying to figure out what they were trying to do. Um, you know, they have been very much so kind of still like people, I think when people think of say anything, they still think of is a real boy. And that's probably haunting them still to this day. I don't know if that's really haunting them is the right word, but I think it's just like the stigma that is around them. And I think this was their, you know, their second album removed from that. And, and I know, you know, they did, uh, or Max Bemis did this, you know, he did Noisy's Rank Your Records thing, right? And he came out and, you know, he was talking with this album and he said, you know, they wanted 
the one of the things they wanted to do with this album was make a big sounding crossover modern rock record, right, with a big producer and a big mixture. And you know, he mentioned that you know, he he was talking about some of his favorite records, you know, um, bands like Jawbreaker tried to do it and it didn't work out very well. Um, he mentions the band Super Drag didn't work out well for them. But then he brings up Green Day and how it worked out for them, right? They suddenly became the biggest band in the world because of it. So they wanted to do something. They wanted to make this big stadium rock record that sounded like one. And, you know, <laughs> it, it's, it is a very ambitious record because of that. Um, but I think one of the things about it, too, is it still, to me, it sounds like a Say Anything record. You know, it's still got the it's still got the random like crazy spurts from Max Bemis. And I know he was, you know, he's in a better, I think even at this point he was in a better place than he was, but like mentally, right. Mentally. I mean, he was, I, cause I don't know how much you know about that from him. Um, and I don't know, obviously I don't know him personally. So I don't want to take, I don't want to talk about it really a whole lot, but you know, I know that, you know, at that time he had been going through some things, you know, mentally, um, Right. And then he's been pretty open about some of that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely been open about it, you know, kind of getting better. And obviously, you know, he, I mean, obviously he is a lot better. And that's kind of one of the things that, you know, when people talk about, you know, is a real boy, that's when he was like, I guess, probably mentally not well, which, and maybe that was, you know, when people look at that album, they might think of lightning in a bottle because of that, you know, because he wasn't well. So he, you know, was able to write these songs and make this album that ended up being really good. But, you know, now that he's in a much better headspace, he's not doing those same things. So, and I guess, you know, specifically again with their self-titled album, it might've been, you know, them kind of, I guess, you know, in the transition from, you know, that stage to getting better to also in the middle of that wanting to make a big, you know, like he said, a stadium rock record that sounds just like that. And it is to me, you know, I think it's my favorite album of theirs. And I mean, I guess, I mean, maybe that's because I didn't really, to be honest with you, get into them too much before this record. So I don't have that same personal attachment that a lot of people do to is a real boy. Right. Or those other kind of, you know, songs that are on that album. So that probably helps, you know, kind of get me clear from that. But I guess that's, you know, I guess that's the thing with everybody. You know, you attach all these feelings to albums. But it, it, it is what it is. And I don't, I mean, it's not that it even sold bad. Because it's still, at that time, it was their best, you know, their highest debut. You yeah. know, so. Yeah, I just looked at that. Number 25 it debuted. Yeah, debuted number 25. And I mean. And it got, it got good reviews. It did. I mean, it got some decent reviews. I think it's, when I look at it, I don't think a lot of people, I I, I wanted to talk about it because a lot of people don't give it the same kind of attention that right. they give their other records. It right. did get right. decent reviews at the time and it sold decently well for them as a band. Yeah. Um, so this is, this is, this is kind of back to, um, this is back a little bit more on par with New Again by Taking Back Sunday where it, it sold well at, well, not, I mean, it sold well, obviously much better than some of the other albums we've talked about. Um, <laughs> and yeah. it, yeah, and it, um, it got decent reviews at the time, but when you look back on it, I haven't seen Say Anything in a while, so I don't know how much of these songs they played live, 
but I just know from what I see online, people aren't really talking about it and it kind of gets lost in the shuffle. And again, I think a lot of that is because people just think of say anything and think of is a real boy and then everything else is just healthy, you know, a healthy max. So it's not good, you know? Right. I mean, and even, you know, Hebrews, which they released a couple of years ago, um, got a lot of attention for being a, such a different album. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I, I don't really remember the dialogue, to be perfectly honest. I don't really remember the dialogue about Hebrews too much to say if people liked it or not, but it definitely got a lot of attention for just sounding so different. Well, you know, with that album, one of the things that brought so much attention to it was before the album came out, he wanted to come out and say that, you know, this is an album that's going to have no guitars on it. And so... Yeah. People yeah. were like blown away and they were like, what, what are you going to do? And, you know, it sounded good. Like it, it's, it's, it's not a bad album. And the interesting thing about that album too, is it's got literally like a guest feature on every single song. Like there's yeah. not a song on there that's not featuring somebody, you know, he's got his wife on there for, I think two songs, um, or maybe three, somewhere around there. He's got, um, uh, he had Chris Conley on there. He had John from Balance and Composure on there. He had Tom DeLong on there. So Tom DeLong. <laughs> Tom DeLong. So I think it's that album was weird, and I, I don't know. You know, there really, I guess, isn't you know many guitars. I guess there isn't any guitars on there outside yeah. of the bass guitar. But and I, I think that that was just weird. You know, that was an interesting yeah. album, and I know the tour they did for that album was interesting, and then they did a tour where they put guitars onto it. So yeah, yeah. I think say anything has definitely been a band that's never been afraid to just do whatever they want. Which and, is cool. And, and that's something to be respected. I think definitely. Yeah. And I mean, it, and then you think about the last album that came out last year and they just dropped it one day out of nowhere and said, yeah. Hey, we're going to Beyonce this thing and just throw it out there. I love it. I love it. And it, I mean, it wasn't a very good album in my opinion. I know a lot of people kind of look at it and they don't think it's a very good album either. Um, but I think, you know, it's it, say anything is just, I guess like that, you know, they don't really care too much about, you know, how these things are perceived other than what they're doing and how they're happy doing, which is good, you know, for them and specifically right. for him, I think it's probably, you know, if that's what he feels like doing or that's what they all collectively feel like doing, you know, then that's just, you know, they, want to do things their way and it works out for them. You know, they've had decent success over their career. Um, but yeah, again, just with their self-titled album, I don't know what it was at the time, but people just, you know, it had success at the time and then it just kind of faded away. Now people don't talk about it too much, you know? Yeah. But um, I don't know if you have any more thoughts on that album yourself. If I don't know how big of a say anything fan uh- you are, but you know, honestly, like I listened to this album and it's, I like it. I like it a lot. And I find it easier to like than something like is a real boy, mm-hmm. which is a real boy uh, is a great album, but it's got a lot of that weirdness and, and quirkiness that to me made it harder to kind of fall in love with. And, and again, this might be timing. In that, I don't think I ever listened to Is a Real Boy until a couple of years after it was out. Um, 
but I listened to this, I listened to the self-titled and it makes sense. You know, it's still like a very weird, you know, there's still a very weird kind of band. Max Bemis is very eccentric, I guess. I don't know if that's the right word. Um, but I mean, songs like do better and death for my birthday are, they're great. Like they sound like say anything songs, but they're, you know, definitely this sounds like a record that was maybe intentionally made to be for a more mainstream audience. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I like it. It's easier for me to kind of grasp, I guess. Uh, I, I think it's a great album, but you know, I, I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head with why it, it didn't necessarily stick with people. Yeah, and I think it is just one of those albums where people knew what it was, and they know that they get they wanted to come out and make it, you know, a more mainstream album in that kind of sense with making it. I mean, the choruses I think are probably a little bit bigger, um, and that makes it easier. It oh, is a lot. I think 100%. it's a lot catchier, like a lot of a catchier album than some of their other releases, and. Um, I mean, you can even 100%. talk about songs like you know hate everyone or songs like she won't follow mm-hmm. you which is just like a straight yep. pop punk kind of song you know and then you've got you know the weird songs of you know death for my birthday and you've got you know um eloise is a really strange song but it's also you know a good song at the same time and and I think you were right. You know, you still got that quirkiness in there. There's a bonus track <laughs> called I Love You More Than I Hate My Period. So I think <laughs> that really just like sums up just the weirdness of this band that they yeah, didn't really abandon definitely. that. And then they still put out this album that sounded like them, but sounded more polished and sounded less rough around the edges. And then they threw it out there. And when it, you know, when you look at their discography, it just gets skipped over probably because of that. Yeah. No, that, that definitely makes sense. Um, all right. So I'm going to go into my, uh, my last album here. Uh, if you want to give a drum roll, please. Um, <laughs> and uh, to, to anyone listening, as Logan and I were discussing, like what order should we talk about these albums in? Uh, Logan immediately said like, this album has to be last. Um, because maybe it'll surprise people. So the last album that I'm going to talk about that I think is super underrated is Neighborhoods by Blink-182. Um, for those of you that have been a Blink-182 fan for a long time, or maybe you haven't been a fan for a long time, uh, the band went on an indefinite hiatus in 2005. Uh, Tom DeLonge had left the band, uh, and then the band was kind of like, well, we're not a band without Tom, and you know, they go on hiatus. Um, they got back together in 2009. They announced it at the Grammys. And, you know, to some extent, this was in the wake of Travis Barker having a really terrible plane crash. Um, and I guess they realized, you know, it, it's time. Let's get back together and make music together again. In this intermittent time that they were on hiatus, Travis, Tom, and Mark all had their side projects they do they, that, that they were doing. Um and then finally, over two years after they announced that they were back together, two full years, uh, they released this album, Neighborhoods, September 2011. And the title, I mean, I think the title makes perfect sense. And when they announced it, I was like, shit, I'm going to love this. Um, 
the title refers to the idea of neighborhoods, you know, neighborhoods of a city that you could have all these slightly different and kind of unique areas and places that all come together to form a, a whole and to form something that's really special, but, you know, still shows the identities of each separate thing. Um, neighborhoods did not sell as well as Blink-182's previous albums. And, you know, a, a lot of people said, well, this didn't sound like Blink-182, but, you know, to that I kind of say, like, well, did you listen to the self-titled album? Because that doesn't sound like, you know, Enema of the State. That's not a, a straightforward pop-punk album. Um, it, you know, so in that sense, yeah, it is different. Um, but to me, this this does definitely sound like, you know, it sounds like what I would expect Tom, Mark, and Travis to make at that point. Um, I, I will say, and I, I kind of got into this on the first episode, but I, I definitely have a personal attachment to this album because Blink-182 and the media situation and all these interviews and speculations and thoughts surrounding their split and the side projects and their reunion, um, following that whole situation over a few years is what fascinated me about music journalism and, and why I you know, created circles and sound waves and why I wanted to start interviewing bands and, and telling their stories. Um, you know, so you had Boxcar Racer that came out uh, with an album in 2012. Um, and then within, during the hiatus time between 2005 and 2009, uh, Tra uh, Travis and Mark released an album with Plus 44. And Tom created this band, Angels and Airwaves, and they released a couple albums. So, you know, they get back together in 2009. Um, they teased for a while that their first single was going to be called Up All Night. Um, and I actually think that's one of the best songs. It's one of my favorite songs on the album because it definitely feels like, you know, that's a song where you really hear Tom, Mark, and Travis coming together. Um, Neighborhoods has a lot, of, a lot of bits that feel like they're very influenced by specific side projects the members had or or you know even songs i i can point to ghost on the dance floor that sounds like a, a tom song um hearts all gone sounds 100 percent like a mark hoppus song um so it's it, in that way i i guess maybe not cohesive but it overall feels like you know this really cool collection of of what tom mark and travis were doing um at that time uh, you know, again, it's definitely not Enema of the State Part 2 or whatever. Um, but I, I think Neighborhoods really captured this special moment in Blink-182 history. Um, so I, I think it's a cool record. Um, and I, I don't think it got the recognition or love that it deserved. Um, I think Blink-182 came back. And, you know, it, it is interesting because people 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 loved the self-titled from what i remember um i love the self-titled and people look back on that record and say that was such a great record and that was not you know that did not sound like enema of the state or dude branch you know but this is i i don't know uh logan what are your thoughts on on neighborhoods both i mean i'm curious if 
hear like what you thought about the album when it came out and what your thoughts are on it now, a couple of years later. So it's an interesting album. I, I liked it a lot when it came out. Um, but now I'm not entirely sh- I'm like, I'm really divided on it. And I think what's, it was really weird about this album is like you said, they came back in February, 2009 and announced they were going to pick up right where they left off. And then it just never happened. I mean, they, uh, they were recording this all in separate studios. And I think you can yeah. tell at certain points on the album that oh, definitely, definitely. It, it just sounds like, I don't know. I mean, there were so many delays, they would barely get back together. Um, I know at one point, I believe, I don't, I don't know if this is true or not, but I remember reading that Tom's like Tom DeLong never listened to the record when it was finished. He <laughs> never like listened to it, which is probably why when they played it live, they only played three or four songs off of the whole thing. Um, yeah. and I mean, I remember that they had to cancel an entire tour because they wouldn't get this thing yeah. done. And their label was like, no, there is a deadline. It's been two freaking years. Let's get it going. Yeah, <laughs> and like yeah. they and canceled an entire European tour because of it. And I, I think because of that, you know, there was, there were probably parts of it that are rushed. I think still after midnight is probably one of my favorite songs by Blink when I used to oh, do. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then the rest of the songs, I'm just, I don't know. The rest of the songs, I'm very just kind of like, I could live without them. Um, Heart's All Gone is an all right song. Um, I And I think, um, again, After Midnight is probably my favorite song. Wishing Well was an interesting song. Um, yeah. I think that was a song where they kind of, I don't know if they, I don't know if they did it, but it seems like they had set out to make it, you know, this kind of, give it this feeling of being an old school kind of Blink-182 song. Not, I guess, really old school, but it sounded like at points, you know, obviously the beginning of the song sounds like a decent amount of other beginning songs for Blink-182. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I just, I don't know. I, I think the album itself, it, it's okay. Um, I don't know. I mean, at the time it seemed like a natural progression from their yeah. self-titled to this. That's, I think that's, that's definitely my feelings on it as well, I think. And, and why I wanted to put this album on here was because, and I think this does to some extent hold true for other albums on our list as well, but especially this one that, you know, where the band was at this time um, and where music was at this time, I think I think this album has a really special place. Um, you know, we. It, what's interesting is that you know, a couple of years after this, Tom DeLonge left the band again. Um, and there are, are many people. Um, I I may or may not be one of them, but we can go into detail on that <laughs> separately. Um, there are many people that felt that Tom DeLonge left the band again and the band should have been done. Um, but <laughs> honestly, in quite shock to me, uh, they continued. And Matt Skiba joined Blink-182, and, and that was a thing. And I was pretty shocked about that whole situation, um, because to me, you know, Tom DeLonge and Mark Hoppus, you know, yeah, they're, they're, they're talented musicians and great songwriters in their own rights, but the magic happens, and it's sort of like a, you know, a thing with the Beatles, with, you know, John Lennon and Paul McCartney and, and Ringo Starr and George Harrison, that they're all talented individuals, but a magic really happens when they're together. 
Um, and I think, you know, neighborhoods captured a really important moment in time. And then it was kind of fascinating to me that when they released California last year, it was, it sounded more like uh, what you'd expect from Blink-182, despite not having one of the original members. Um, I think California is a, a great album, and I, I'm interested to see where Blink-182 goes from here. Um because, uh, you know, the world's their oyster at this point, you know. They put out records, people are going to pay attention. Um, but, you know, I, I, I wanted to include Neighborhoods on this list because I, I did feel like it was important for where it was at that time. Um, is it the best record in the world? No, I don't think so. Um, but I, I think it's underrated because I don't think people necessarily appreciate it for for what it was. I mean, I think I, I, mean, I can. It's weird. I'm definitely biased. It's, 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 I mean, I think you're probably one of the few people who looks at it and think it's underrated just because I think oh, totally, pe- people totally. are, are going to say it sold more than it should. I think. And I, I mean, that's, that's why I wanted to put it, put it on here was because I knew not a lot of people <laughs> like this album as much as I do. So I was, so it's in, in a sense, it's the perfect one to talk about. It is, and I mean, I don't know if people will warm up to it, and I don't know, I mean, it's been six years, probably not. They stopped playing songs off of it live. Um, Have they complete, they don't play anything off of it live? No, they don't. They don't play anything off of it. They took it out, um, and they just ignore it. Um, And I don't know if it'll be that way. It'll probably stay that way. Until Tom DeLonge eventually forces himself back into the band, and they probably become a four-piece, and they release a terrible album, and then they break up. So, I mean, I can't see that actually happening, but it would be it would be hilarious to see what happened. I, I uh, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. it's uh, weird because I don't know. That's just they're they have an interesting relationship, but it's it's funny because when they broke up the first time, they said, "No, we can't do this without Tom," and broke up or went yeah. on indefinite hiatus but then he <laughs> left again they said you know what f tom we're gonna do this anyway yeah, yeah. and you know then they put out california yeah, and then i mean i i think california is a, a great album and in, in some ways a quote-unquote better album than neighborhoods um but i you know i mean i'm i'm one of those people that to some extent it's kind of like we'll we'll I'm still, you know, a year or two after they said this was going to be a thing, I still am kind of shocked that they are still a band without Tom. Um, but, you know, I, I am very interested to see where they go from here. Yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting. I mean, they just put out the deluxe edition, which is basically just yeah. California again. Um, so yeah. they'll probably keep doing this pop punk sound. Um, I, to yeah, be honest with you, I, I, I would to be honest with you, I do think eventually Tom will come back in the band. Um, I, but I, do you think Matt Skiba will then leave? I do. I think he'll eventually leave. Um, I, I mean, I think eventually, I think it'll probably happen sooner than people think it will. Um, just because at some point, I don't know, Tom, I don't know. Obviously, neither of us really know him. I've never even really met him. 
Um, but I don't know how hey, Tom, he. If, if you want to be interviewed by Circles and <laughs> state review you know just shoot us an email we're very easy to find we'd love to ask you some questions we'd be happy to sit down and chat <laughs> if you're listening time to launch yeah maybe we should just send this his way i have i have right. his publicist for angels and airwaves i'll just hit him up and be like hey yeah, you know. just just try to figure out what's going on here but i mean and i am it is interesting though because angels and airwaves hasn't toured in like years right and i mean they put out an album a few years ago didn't yeah. really do too well either. No. But I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I don't know what he really looks at as Blink to a lot of people. I mean, even, you know, uh, Travis Barker said that he feels like he was motivated by money, and it probably was. Um yeah. but then I know Travis Barker also said that he quit the band more than once prior to this whole thing <laughs> anyway. So I I I think it's just, you know, I don't know. I know that Tom DeLong wants to do a lot of things. I know he wants to go, you know, he worked with the government. And I guess he actually has been, much to my surprise. So those, yeah. when those whole Hillary emails came out, you saw something with Tom DeLong, And I was like, oh, shit. All right. Well, that's cool. And yeah. I, I, I still think that eventually he'll do it. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I think... Hopefully it's soon. I think it will be soon. I don't know how exactly soon, but I just, I can't see him being out of the band for that long. Um, yeah. I'd, I'm, I'm very interested to see if and when he does come back. I, I, I See, I would like to see them keep this sound, but with him doing it, I just think, I think that would be better. Um, the song, California sounds good. It's a good album. Um, but I just like I sit here and I listen to it and I think, what if Tom DeLong sang this? How much like Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's just when you listen to like Enema This Day or Take Off Your Pants and Jacket and you just hear like it's very it's it's weird because for some reason I just think like him like in a pop punk band sounds good. So I would be curious yeah. to see him making pop punk music again and just Definitely. seeing how it worked out. Yeah. Definitely. All right. Well, I think that kind of I mean, we could we could probably spend an, an entire episode or, or really several episodes talking just about Tom DeLonge, uh, Mark Hoppus, Travis Barker, and Matt Skiba, and the the multiple bands that those members have started and and left and joined and left again. Um, but uh, let's wrap this up for now. Um, Thanks so much to everyone who who tuned in, who listened to episode number two of Perspective. You can follow the show on Twitter at, at Perspective underscore pod. Uh, you can follow me, Molly, at M Huddleson. That's M-H-U-D-E-L-S-O-N. And Logan is at A-N-I-A-F-C. Uh, please tweet at us, tweet at the show, tweet at me tweet at logan um if you want to share your perspective on the albums we discussed or share some of your you know favorite underrated albums um we we want to hear from you please talk to us um logan do you have anything else to say i don't uh this is a lot of fun i'm glad that you know if any you know the people who are listening to this and um hopefully we can keep things exciting so this was this was a fun episode i'm sure we'll probably eventually bring this one back um and you know eventually to kind of do underrated bands overrated albums and just kind of keep going with this oh, whole well, theme definitely. 
we'll definitely go through a underrated bands. Um, the, that'll be yeah. a, that'll be a long episode. <laughs> <laughs> that'll be yeah, that'll be several episodes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, tune in tune in next time or or sometime soon for that one. Thanks again, everyone, so much for tuning in. Talk to you next time.